In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. For years, and for better or for worse, Canada had an official, unofficial border crossing. Known simply as Roxham Road, it was a strip of land in Quebec where tens of thousands of migrants would cross into Canada from the United States every year and then claim asylum. Thanks to a loophole and a pact between Canada and the U.S. called the Safe Third Country Agreement. But a couple of weeks ago, that loophole closed. And so did Roxham Road. As from today, migrants arriving at a popular unofficial gateway to central Canada are now being turned away. Roxham Road on the Quebec-New York border officially closed to asylum seekers as of midnight Eastern time. If you're crossing here, you will be arrested. At the moment, nobody is crossing at Roxham. Are they crossing anywhere else? We don't know because it's a long, long border and we don't have eyes everywhere. But people do try to cross the U.S.-Canada border at unseen, lonely spots. And sometimes when they do, the result is tragic. Eight bodies of two migrant families have been found in the St. Lawrence River near here in Akwesasne on the Canadian-U.S. border, including an infant and a child under the age of three. Police say the victims were all trying to enter the United States illegally from Canada. These families were headed from Canada to America, but the traffic goes both ways. The question now is without the Roxham crossing, will we see more of these attempts and will traffickers begin to prey on people trying to make it across any way possible? What changed in the past few months for Canada and the U.S. to alter this deal? What role did rising anti-migrant and pro-border security tensions play? Was there a better way to do this? And to follow up to that, better for who, exactly? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Nicholas Kyung is the Toronto Star's immigration reporter. He has for years followed the saga of Roxham Road and uh, now... There's a tragedy to follow as well, Nick. Yeah, it's uh, sort of expected, you know, mm-hmm. according to a lot of advocates. Ex- you know, that's what they expected to happen. It's predictable. Yeah. Well, before we talk about what happened, tell me a little bit about what we know about the people who died. I know you reported on uh, Florin Yordak, if I'm saying his name correctly, and his family. But there's there's another family, too. Who were these people? The bodies of eight migrants actually were recovered, uh, have been recovered so far. We're still looking for the boat operator um, to track him down uh, right now. So the the eight bodies come from two families, one from uh, of 
Romania origin and the other is from India. As far as we know, the um, Romanian couple, they were failed asylum seekers and uh, they also had two Canadian-born children. One was three years old, Hmm. a daughter, and the other is a two-years-old boy. The other family is a, um, a family from India, family of four with a son and a daughter. And they came to Canada from Punjab um, on a visitor visa. And I know we might not know exactly what happened to them yet, but like you've covered this kind of stuff. Can you explain kind of the plausible scenarios for for what might have happened here? Mm-hmm. It appears to me that, you know, uh, at least for the Romanian family, they arrived legally, they sought asylum, they uh, failed their refugee claim, they, they tried to get into the U.S. and then got de- deported and they returned to Canada again. So uh, I don't think in that case, you know, there's any um, human traffickers or smugglers involved in their case. But, you know, I cannot say based on the information we've seen so far, you know, for the Indian family, because, you know, I'm sure you're aware of, again, another Indian family that, you know, uh, actually uh, tragically died, you know, Mm -hmm. while trying to cross into the the, the U.S. And there's uh, um, another woman, again, uh, trying to cross from Quebec, the same thing. It appears like usually in those circumstances, there's some sort of, you know, uh, criminal activities uh, involved. And I would not be surprised. So this tragedy, which, as you point out, is is not the first and uh, probably won't be the last, yeah. comes amid a renewed focus on migrants and asylum claims and particularly focused around Roxham Road. Now, maybe before we get into what's changed there, mm. um, can you quickly explain kind of how Roxham Road became a symbol for uh, the migrant border crisis in Canada? Sure. Um, I think the story, you know, goes back to 2004 when the American and Canadian government actually signed this deal called Safe Third Country Agreement. What it did when someone tried to cross into Canada from the U.S., they were supposed to first seek asylum in the U.S. because it's considered a safe country for migrants, for asylum seekers. And Canada, you know, if they arrive at the Canadian official border, they would be sent back to the U.S., to continue or to seek asylum there and vice versa. But what was interesting at the time uh, when the, 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 the rules were implemented, that treaty only applied at the, the official port of entry. Mm-hmm. As you know, the U.S. and Canada shared, you know, uh, have a shared land border, you know, that's 9,000 kilometers. So I think, you know, the officials knew it's impossible to, you know, enforce the rules. And that's why, you know, if you cross between official ports of entry, you know, they would let you in and you can proceed with your uh, asylum process. Right. So now, you know, uh, fast track to 2016, 2017, Donald Trump was elected and he introduced, you know, a bunch of anti refugees, anti-immigrants policies. So we started to see a surge of irregular migrants crossing uh, into Canada in 2017. It only sort of like uh, trickled in, you know, uh, declined, you know, during the pandemic. But what was interesting was, you know, um, Canadian officials, actually, they were aware of, you know, the potential risks and dangers in the wilds, you know, at, at the border between uh, the, the two countries. So they had this very well organized and structured uh, protocols, 
set up at Rossum Road in Quebec, not to welcome, I don't think that's the right word, but to process these irregular migrants, to mm-hmm. make sure there's an orderly uh, and organized way for them to, in a way, to break the law, right? <laughs> it's an official, the official unofficial border crossing. Exactly. Fast track to what happened uh, in March during the visit of President Biden in Canada. He and uh, our prime minister actually announced an update to uh, the, the the treaty. And so now all the restrictions would apply across the entire border, meaning that, you know, whether you cross from Roxham Road or from Emerson in Manitoba or, you know, in a, a national park uh, somewhere in BC, you would still be sent back unless you meet some uh, exemptions, you know, uh, granted under the, the agreement. And that kicked in basically immediately, right? So What's the situation right now at Roxham Road? What happens when people show up? You know, being someone who has been following Roxham Road and the Safe Third Country Agreement for many years, you know, I I was caught off guard that, you know, with the changes that they brought in overnight. And so were uh, a lot of the advocates. No one really expected that coming um, within 24 hours. Yeah. So immediately, you know, uh, at 12.01, I believe it was um, March 25th when um, the new regulations uh, kicked in, the migrants arriving at Roxham Road, they, they were turned back right away. And uh, according to some of the reporting I've seen, uh, they were trying to dash through the you know, border entry into Canada before 1201. Oh, man. But a lot of them actually uh, got stuck now, uh, um, you know, at least in the initial days, they were stuck at a gas station uh, near that uh, border crossing, trying to figure out what to do, what options are available. It caught a lot of people off guard, including the the migrant community. What could have been done uh, aside from, you know, sign the deal 1201, let's go to make sure that it didn't turn into this kind of like, is there a better, was there a better way to implement this? It depends on, you know, when you say a better way, a better way for Washington and Ottawa or a better way for the migrants, right? Yeah, fair. And I think, you know, from the policymakers' perspectives, you know, I can appreciate why they gave no, you know, uh, a grace period, right, for the implementation because they don't want people to rush, you know, through the border. And we'll see another, you know, surge over weeks or days, right, before the implementation of the new law. Right. And from the migrants' perspective and or, or from the, the advocates' perspectives, you know, I think their position has always been the root cause of the irregular migration issue from the States to Canada is because potential asylum seekers could not have crossed at an official port of entry. Right. So probably the safest way for them to cross through would be as Roxham Road. When you have all the potential migrants trying to enter through that one border crossing, you can see how it overwhelmed, you know, the enforcement officials, it overwhelmed, you know, people from uh, the border guards to RCMP, community social services uh, in Quebec. And I think, you know, from the advocate's perspective, their argument is if you allow potential asylum seekers to cross and make a claim at an official port of entry, whether it's, you know, Lewiston, you know, the, the Rainbow Bridge, you know, Fort Erie, mm-hmm. you can spread out 
the traffic across the entire border rather than have everyone coming in all into Quebec at once. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. So what happens now um, without this sort of uh, official, unofficial point of entry? Are we just going to see fewer migrants? It, it seems to me like people are not just going to stop trying to cross into Canada. I think immediately, you know, uh, for sure we'll see fewer irregular migrants crossing. You know, we have all heard, you know, Trudeau saying we welcome refugees, right? That rhetoric after the Liberals were elected in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. So I think the change of tone is important. Uh, It sent a very um, uh, important political message to potential asylum seekers that, hey, the door is closed now for irregular migrants. And also, I think it would take a little bit of time for people to figure out options, right? If they still intend to to come to Canada for asylum, they may try to seek help from uh, criminal groups, you know, to sneak into Canada. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, you know, it would, I think potential migrants, uh, irregular migrants would give a second thought, you know, uh, and try to weigh in like how much more risk I'm willing to take for the sake of getting protection and safety in Canada. Like if if the price is really too high to pay, maybe that would deter people from coming. But I don't think, you know, the issue of irregular migrants is going to go away at all. Do we know what changed politically uh, for this deal to happen and for this to be closed? As you mentioned, the Trudeau government was saying that we welcome refugees. Um, Were they saying that because it was the U.S. that wouldn't uh, change the policy? Like who... Who gave up or gave in here? Anecdotally, and also I think, you know, we've seen some statistics that when the Safe Third Country Agreement was initially implemented, the annual number of irregular migrants crossing into the U.S. from Canada was around 200. Mm -hmm. And the northbound traffic from U.S. to Canada was, you know, over 10,000. So I think the impression was, you know, Canada had more to gain from this deal by turning back those 10,000 potential asylum seekers back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I think this time around, you know, um, the White House was under a lot of pressure, you know, at their southern border, um, you know, with refugees arriving at, you know, at the Mexican uh, U.S. border down south. We have a Democratic uh, president. And it's under a lot of pressure from uh, the Republicans, you know, for its perceived weak border enforcement. So I think, you know, for, for the Biden administration, you know, the any announcement about, you know, uh, making the uh, Safe Third Country agreement tougher would help the administration politically mm-hmm. to, to shut up, you know, the Republican uh, critics. Right. And for Canada, you know, I think, you know, the Trudeau government, has been under a lot of pressure from the provinces, from 
the opposition federal parties as well, you know, uh, with the search of irregular migrants, you know, they won't, they don't want to appear to be weak on law enforcement. So in a way, you know, um, I guess, you know, we could say, you know, um, we were not surprised by the announcement as well, because both governments actually, you know, could score some political points um, from updating the safe third country agreement. The last thing I want to ask is just to bring it back to the two families that we found dead. And you touched on this a little bit, but in terms of what happens now, you know, are advocates on both sides of the border preparing to see more of these kinds of crossings? And I guess, should we be doing more to be more aware of these irregular crossings? Um, good question. I think one of the the big question mark a lot of people had, you know, uh, initially after the um, the recent announcement was how is it going to be enforced, whether it's technology or, you know, deployment of more border guards uh, across the border, uh, how is it going to be accomplished in terms of like whether we are expecting, you know, uh, more irregular migrants to to cover, I think they are going to become more difficult to be detected. Right. By the way, there's also one uh, provision within the new uh, Safe Third Country Agreement that, you know, uh, those who actually manage to cross into Canada without being, or in the U.S., without being detected within 14 days, they could be given access to asylum. That mm. provision is very important because... Advocates have they have been arguing that you know that would make their lives more vulnerable because if they cross you know with the help of uh, smugglers that means that they would be trapped you know at least for another two weeks right in order to be safe to come out to make an asylum claim just out of fear they would they could potentially continue to live underground so that's you know one thing that I think we need to watch whether you know, it could potentially lead to an increase in the undocumented population, uh, especially here in Canada. One last thing really quick, because I want to pick your brain because you know um, this beat better than anyone. We talked a little while ago, uh, before the Roxham Road thing happened, you and I chatted about uh, a new new legislation in the UK that was anti-migrant. We talked about the pressure to close Roxham Road. Um, now, now we're seeing what's happened. What's your sense of where the political will is going on this issue? I think there's the political will from most states to do something, but I think it's a matter of whether they have the capacity or whether they consider they have the capacity to do that. You know, at the end of the day, it's all political, right? All government policies are political, whether, you know, they want to appear to be, you know, uh, tough on crime, you know, for them, they try to frame this issue as a national security issue rather than as a humanitarian issue. But the global displacement population is at an all-time high historically right now Mm -hmm. uh, with climate change, with wars. So that's not going to go away. And what we are seeing in recent years is every, almost all states actually closing their border and ask for more organized structured migration path, you know, for example, here in Canada, they wanted to have the ability to pick refugees 
from overseas, right? Whether it's based on their skills, whether they are persecuted, a, a specific, belong to a specific persecuted group like LGBTQ, uh, for example, right. right? They want to have control. I think at the end of the day is about having that sense of control of our borders. Uh, that's, you know, pre- preoccupying government, you know, uh, officials. And sometimes in that process, you know, we may forget about, you know, that uh, global universal humanities, right? That that we need more in this world today. Nick, thank you so much for this. Thank you for all your work in this space. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Nicholas Kyung, immigration reporter for the Toronto Star. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, you can find them at thebigstorypodcast.ca or, of course, in any podcast player you might prefer. You can also get in touch with us to let us know what you think, what we should cover, how you're feeling on any given day, whatever's on your mind. We're on Twitter at The Big Story FPN. We are available by email, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And we take voicemail. If you feel like leaving one, just call 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. It's a long weekend coming up, but we've got a special, nice, I promise, episode for you when we talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.